This morning I titled my message, Called into Fellowship. We are called into fellowship with Christ. We are called to come together and worship Him. It's all about Him. He is the reason we're here. And it's so good to be here. It's so good to be in God's house, to come together and worship. And it's wonderful to know that people all over the world are worshiping Jesus Christ. To know that we have that in common. You know, many different languages, many different races, many different places. But they're worshiping the same God that we are and the same Lord Jesus Christ. Called into fellowship. Let's have a word of prayer before I read the scripture. Father, we do thank you and praise you for the honor and the privilege to come into your house. We thank you, Lord, again for your presence. We thank you for your sweet spirit that's in this place. And Father, I pray that your spirit would just rest upon each of us today. Help us to receive your word, to, to have the understanding that you would have us to, to have. And Father, I just pray that we would use all that we learn of you for your glory and for your honor. Lord, as Karen said, that that song says, let it not be about us, but Father, may we leave a legacy for Jesus. May we leave a legacy for you, Lord. Lord, that others would know you, that they would just see you in us, Lord. That may that be our, our goal, Father, to uh, be that example that we need to be. And that's, Lord, uh, what we are to do. And we just thank you again for all things and again that your spirit would move in this place for your glory. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 19. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God. And you think of that, as I read that, sometimes I think the church of God. You know, there's a lot of different titles or denominations of churches out there. I suppose that's where they got the name for the church of God that we know of. But friends, guess what? We are part of the church of God. The church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all who in every place call on the name Jesus Christ, name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by Him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly, uh, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God who is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now this, these first nine verses are like He's commending the church for all the, the good things they have done and speaking of their faith. Now this last section is going to be a little correction in there. Now, see, he's, He changes. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that you be and that there be no divisions among you but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment for it has been declared to me concerning you my brethren by those of Chloe's household that there are contentions among you now i say this that each of you says i am of paul or i am of apollos or i am of cephas or i am of christ is christ divided 
No, I'm glad I had some head shaking no out there. Was Paul crucified for you? No. Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? No. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdoms of, wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. May God add His blessings to the hearing and the reading of His holy word. I hope you've seen in that reading how it ties in with what Karen just said. It's not our legacy. Corinth. You know, there are some cities around the world and in our nation that are magnificent cities. Some of them are magnificent because of their location. You know, look, there are many cities today that are magnificent or, or prosperous cities simply because of where they are located. Many are prosperous because they are located by the water. Yes, and my wife's going, yes. <laughs> Just because of being by the water, or by the ocean, or by the gulf, or by the sea, they attract a lot of tourism. So that makes them a popular destination or a popular city. Some are popular because of being by the water because of the fishing industry or because it's just a great port city where there's lots of ships that come in uh, shipping stuff from overseas or shipping stuff to overseas plus the military aspect of it. There could be military bases by some of these port cities that bring in thousands of people. Various reasons. Some places are magnificent because of all the natural resources they may have. If they have oil, they're definitely a rich city, right? Many different reasons. Corinth was such a place. If one would climb up to the top of the rocky hills around Corinth, you would probably be out of breath by the time you got up there because it's about 2,000 feet above sea level. But if you get up there on the top, it's big enough and wide enough for a city of a considerable size to be up there. But if you would look eastward, you would look out over the Aegean Sea. If you would look to the west, you would see the Ionian Sea. But if you'd turn around and look to the north, you'd see the Attica Mountains. And my wife is saying again, when you taking me? <laughs> right? I mean, you get up on that mountain, you're going to see a sea to the left and a sea to the right and out before you and mountains behind you. Something breathtaking, right, for everyone to see. I'd have the mountains and she could have the sea. Because I love the mountains, right? I'm sharing this to share just a little bit of history about Corinth and where they lay and a little bit of groundwork because I've decided I'm going to preach through Corinthians. And I won't preach through every verse of every chapter, but from each chapter every week. It's been a long time since I've tackled an entire book where there's like 16 chapters. Uh, I did Romans many years ago. I have since tackled smaller verses, but for the most part it's been topical preaching, preaching on a certain topic. So we're going to go through Corinthians, and I hope that we'll be able to bring out some amazing stuff that God has did and Paul spoke to the Corinthians because that's what it's about, Paul teaching the Corinthians. You know, many ancient cities, but back to, I'm not done with Corinthian. Corinth was placed in that because of the water, they became a very important military city. It became the command post, basically, for that area. 
It laid between Asia and Europe, so it was a major uh, transportation, commerce going through there. So they became a very uh, luxurious city. They were known for their wealth. They were known for their literature. They were known for the arts. Again, Corinth was a magnificent city. Many ancient cities, though, if you've studied any of the ancient cities, they devoted themselves to a particular god or goddess. Corinth, my friends, was no different. They were no different. With their great wealth, and popu the population was great, but they devoted themselves to the goddess Venus, who was the goddess of love. And I think you could probably guess what that led to. A lot of licentious living, passion, uh, just free love, a lot of immoral stuff happening in the city of Corinth. Of all the ancient cities of the wor ancient world, Corinth was the most notorious for their lack of moral restraint. So you may be wondering, okay, why do I need to know all this? Why is this important? Why is it important that I know that Corinth was corrupt, they were frivolous, they were sinful, all these things during that time. Why? To show the exceeding grace of our God. Amen. Because many would probably say, well, if the people of Corinth could be saved, anybody can. Amen. To show the exceeding riches of God's grace. That God called Paul to go and plant a church in Corinth. It reveals the power of the Spirit to overcome the strongest and most polluted passions of man's nature. It can overcome any of our sinful passions and desires. It doesn't matter how many false gods one may have worshipped in the past. It doesn't matter how sinful one has been in the past. God's grace is sufficient to bring forgiveness of your sins. Amen. No matter how bad they were. The Apostle Paul himself founded the church in Corinth on his second missionary journey. This letter that I read from and is going to continue to read from, 1 Corinthians, is written in his third missionary journey. And it was written to address the problems that had risen in the church. There was division. There was disorder within the church in Corinth. Paul had sent letters with some very... They had sent letters to Paul with some very specific questions. Questions on how we should live, what we should do. Paul is directly answering those questions in Corinthians. He addresses how that we should live for Christ in the midst of a corrupt society. Paul begins by revealing to them, first of all, why he had the authority to speak correction and speak how they should live. Paul says, called how did that begin in the very first verse? Got to find the beginning here. Called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. You think of the word call, called, calling. It's used five times in those 19 verses. The word call, calling, or called five times, and then three times in the remainder of that chapter. So eight times. So that tells me that that is an important part of that chapter, being called. The Greek meaning of the word called, in most cases, means invited. Invited. So we are 
called into fellowship, we are invited by God into fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. When Paul was called, he is invited to come and be an apostle of Jesus Christ. But one definition means a king's summon. A king's summon. I find this very interesting. Because a king has complete authority over his kingdom. Does he not? If a king calls a person, one of his subjects, to come before him, they are going to come. One way or another, they will come. I think of David. All the men had went off to war, but David stayed behind. He should have went off to war with his men. But he stayed behind. And David is up on the, on the rooftop of the palace. Meant walk just looking around. And he looks down. I know that you've all heard this story. And he sees Bathsheba. Beautiful woman. Beautiful to the eyes. And he inquired of who this was. Well, they informed him that this was Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. So then he decided he wanted her. So he sent messengers to bring her to him. He summoned her to come before him. And it happened. Why? Because he's the king. What the king says happens. So he summoned her to come before him. So some are called, and I think of God calling Paul. I think it's more than just a little invitation. I think it's a summons of the king to come and be an apostle of Jesus Christ. I think Paul's calling is an extraordinary calling. A convincing call, if you will. Yes, Paul could have said no. Jonah said no. First time, didn't he? What happened to him? I think I just spoke of that recently, right? He wound up in the belly of fish. Belly of a fish. Uh, If Paul would have said no, he might have very well found himself in the belly of a fish. Floating around in the ocean or worse. But he said yes. And praise be to God because of that extraordinary call of Paul. Look how it has affected the church. Tremendous. Probably one of the most extraordinary calls in the history of all the apostles or disciples is Paul's calling to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Praise God, we may not even be here if Paul would have said no that day. I found a neat example of what it means to be called of God. Young man shares that in the be- shared this story. In the beginning of the 20th century, a young graduate, graduate of Cornell University was engaged in a most amazing effort to win the entire world to Jesus Christ. His name was John R. Mote. During his years as secretary of the World Student Volunteer Movement, Mote's travels took him everywhere to Europe, the Middle East, Africa, India, Latin America, Australia, China, Japan, and the islands of the Pacific. And everywhere he went, he led young men and women to Christ. In 1946, he was honored with a Nobel Peace Prize. John Mote offered this as his best definition of a call of God. He said, it is the awareness of a need and the capacity to meet that need. The awareness of a need and the capacity to meet that need. He described that as a good definition of what it means to be called by God. Basically, the purpose for Paul's writing of this letter to the Corinthians is to answer many questions because they had many questions within the church. 
Some in the church, some had come into the church bringing some false teaching. They were errant in their ways. And they weren't lining up with the ways that Paul had taught them when he planted the church there. And he had spent 18 months with them in Corinth. So it was to make clear how they should live their lives for Christ again. Verse 10 said, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Some said, I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of Cephas. I am of Christ. You can sense division. You can sense clicks, if you will. Well, this click over here said, well, I'm of the Apostle Paul. I'm greater than you, if you will. I am of Cephas. That makes me a little more special than you because you are only of Apollos. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 25, But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. Paul was calling the church of Corinth into fellowship, the fellowship of Jesus Christ. Verse 9 said, God is faithful, whom you were called, meaning you were invited into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Fellowship, as it's used in here, means koinonia. That is the Greek word, koinonia. It means close association between persons, emphasizing what is common between them. What is common between them. Friends, if we would come together as a group, and if all we focused on was the things that made us different, we are going to fall apart. We will soon disband. But we are to focus on the things that we have in common. We are all different. We are every. If you're married, you know we're different. Men are women. Men and women are different. And if I could get a couple to focus on everything that they have different about one another, they're going to be going to see a divorce lawyer before you know it. But if I could get them to focus on that which they have in common, that marriage could last for many years. If we as a body of believers come together and focus on what we have in common, we will stay together and we will grow. Koinonia was one of Paul's favorite words to describe a believer's relationship with the risen Lord. Fellowship is more than just coming together to share a meal. It's more than just coming together to have some social time together. The fellowship of believers is the bond of a common purpose and a devotion that binds Christians together. The song, bind us together, Lord. Bind us together with what? Love. That cord that cannot be broken. Bind us together. It's not about having my way. But it's about being bound together in love in Christ Jesus. You know, some preachers will use elegant or impressive words to impress their listeners. But Paul said that he was not sent to preach with words of wisdom to impress the people with his abilities. And I guarantee you're not going to be impressed with my abilities because sometimes I can't really talk. But he said, if I preach with wisdom of words, it makes the cross of Christ of no effect. 
He came to preach the pure truth of the Gospel. Christ and Him crucified. That's it. Christ and Him crucified. He is the one to be exalted, not ourselves. For it is not the power of persuasive word that changes a man's heart and saves his soul. It is the power of Jesus Christ. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that changes a man, that changes his soul, saves his soul. You know, some things that we read in Scripture are hard to understand, but this is not that difficult to understand. Peter says sometimes that it's hard to understand in 2 Peter 3, 14-16. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in Him, by Him, in peace, without spot and blameless. We can be blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which some are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the Scriptures. My friends, he's addressing what Paul was addressing in Corinthians. People come in and were twisting the Scripture for their own benefit. To make themselves look good. Peter, speaking of being blameless as Paul did, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blameless means to be free from accusation. That's what it means to be blameless. On the day of judgment, you can be free from accusation. How can we be blameless? We can be found in peace and blameless by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's how we are found blameless. I found a story that a man shared. He did not even give his name, so it's anonymous. He titled it, My Insides Were Screaming. He said, in June 1997, I went to the Promise Keepers Conference in Washington, D.C. And as I thought about that, I may have been at that same conference because I believe in 1997 we went to the Promise Keepers in Washington, D.C. So I may have been there with this same gentleman that wrote this. He says the men on the stage kept asking, do you want to be a godly man? He says my insides were screaming, yes, yes. He says when I got home, I knelt in prayer and listened to the conference tape. He says I wept, sweat poured from me. He says I begged to be forgiven for my life of drugs and alcohol, for being a poor father an abusive husband, he said, I felt a rush come over me like goosebumps all over my body. He says, I woke up the next morning for the first time since I was 11 years old not feeling guilty. The, Lord, the Lord's mighty hand has raised a man of four detoxes, five rehabs, a mental hospital, and numerous jail stays into a caring husband, a loving father, a two-Bible-study-a-week man, choir-singing, contributor-to-the-church kind of guy. And he says, I take no credit for this. It was God working through power keep, promise keepers and the power of God that changed this man. My friends, that's the power of God. That's the power of Jesus Christ to change us. Change us. A believer, as believers, we are called we are invited. You are invited into fellowship, the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ. 
God is inviting all of us. He invites all in the world to come and be part of His fellowship. I think, I know, that man has always had a competitive nature. Hasn't he? Man has always had a competitive nature. I believe we could trace it all the way back to Cain and Abel. I don't know if you could say necessarily competitive, but jealous. Cain was jealous of Abel. Some said, I am of a Paul. No doubt each one thought that they were special. That they were in some way more important than the other believers in the church. I added a, script, added a scripture. As I was working on this message the other night, I came down and I'd been working on it for actually two evenings, quite some time. And I brought it down and I told Karen, I said, she says, you done? I'm like, well, I just don't feel done with it. <laughs> I said, but the Lord will give it, give it to you, she said. So I've added Romans 14, 1 through 9. For one who is weak in the faith, receive one who is weak in the faith, but do not dispute over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let, him not, <clears throat> let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. Listen to that. God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day, to the Lord he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord. For he gives, th gives God thanks. And he who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat. And gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live in the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and rose and lived again, that He might be Lord of both the living and the dead. My friends, there can be many things that divide us. Kind of what this whole thing's been about, right? I mean, there are many that are even divided over the food that we should eat. My friends, it's not the food that we eat. If you're convicted from eating certain food, then don't eat it because it's wrong for you. If you're convicted to keep a certain day, by all means keep that day. But it's not about the day, it's not about the food, it's not about who baptized us, whether it was Paul or Cephas or Pastor John or Pastor George that baptized us. But it's all about Christ and Him crucified. Being blameless in Him. We are called into the fellowship of Christ Jesus. You're not called into fellowship with Pastor Ron, you're called into fellowship with Jesus Christ. The, 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 the bond that binds us is Christ and His love. His love that was so great that He died for us. You are called to come in Him. Leave all that other stuff. Leave your selfishness behind. Leave your own desires. Don't care if you aren't proven right. 
It's not about me being right or me being wrong. It's about Christ. And that's it. It's about Christ. Yes, we like to observe the day. We observe this day because we believe it is the day that God blessed, that He sanctified and called holy. But let's not look down our nose that, on those that do not. Because if they have Christ in their heart, He can make them stand. Receive that. If they look down on us because we observe this day, I don't care what they think. Because He can make me stand when I believe on Jesus Christ, His Son. Amen? Amen. I don't say that arrogantly. I really don't. I say that because my entire trust is in Jesus Christ. Not in self. And that's where we all need to be. That our trust is in Him. And in Him alone. And it's about lifting Him up and not ourselves. Amen? That's what Paul's trying to teach the church in Corinth. And that church, that word, my friends, is meant for all of us. Because it says all believers everywhere. So it was meant for them many years ago, and it's for us today. Receive one another. We are called to be joined together. Amen? Amen.